Now is the perfect time to remove all blockages from your body with Reiki. That's why I have created the Fertility Foundation Collective. We now have over 60 Reiki babies. To join, go to carolinasotomayor.com. Hi, I'm Carolina, your podcast host and expert womb healer. Over the past five years, I've served over 500 women to remove physical blockages in their bodies. We achieve this with Reiki. I believe healing doesn't have to be done alone, nor should it be. You will hear stories of healing, methods to heal with, and guest speakers covering taboo topics you won't hear anywhere else. Let's continue this journey of womb healing together. Hi, I'm Carolina. I'm your Reiki master, womb healer, and podcast host. I'm here today with a very special guest. Her name is Jennifer Sen. And we are going to be talking about some very important topics that are not talked about enough. I want to go ahead and give you a trigger warning that we are going to be talking about stillbirth, loss, pregnancy loss, and we're going to go ahead and go deep into these topics. So if this is triggering for you, feel free to tune out or skip this episode. Hi, Jen. Thanks for being here. Thank you for sharing your time and your presence with us today. Do you want to give a little bit of introduction of who you are and what you do? I will. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And my name is Jennifer Sen. I am a pregnancy loss recovery coach. And I've been a hairstylist ever since I was 18. So I kind of coached people behind the chair for many years. And what I realized was there's a real connection of self-esteem issues between women who've had a loss and, you know, just in general and my own loss. So I had two sons and then I had twin girls who were still born at 32 weeks. And then I had a rainbow baby after that. But this whole experience really just led me to look for ways that I could help other women through this experience because there's so much suffering in silence. So I am a certified life coach. And what I do is I work, I have a group program and I do one-on-one coaching with women who are struggling and they just can't seem to find their way back to normal after baby loss and really find that it's affecting their life in so many negative ways. So we just work with them to help them find their way back to normal. I have a question and I ask this question because I feel like there's not enough. I'm in this space a lot, so I know the difference, but What is the difference between a miscarriage and a pregnancy loss, or if there is one? Since you're the expert, I want you to be able to explain them, or if they're different anyways, for our listeners to have better understanding. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, I want to begin by saying a loss is a loss, you Mm, know? I love that. Can we just, like, I want to acknowledge every loss, whether it was, you know, five weeks or 41 weeks, whatever it is, it's tragic. So, pregnancy loss is really pretty much any time, you know, between conception and 40 weeks, any to any loss that happens during that time. The dividing factor is usually the 20 week mark. Anything before 20 weeks is considered a miscarriage and, and can be, you know, 
is dealt with in the medical community through, you know, possibly DNC or medication, some sort of, you know, something like that to expel the, you know, the baby. And then 20 weeks plus is a whole different experience because then, you know, you're getting more into delivery, maybe a C-section, you see the baby, you hold the baby, you, you know, discuss the remains, what's done with it. I live in New York state. We were required to have, you know, some sort of funeral, you know, service for. So yeah, it's a little bit more involved. I primarily work with stillbirth people because that was my experience and it's a little more involved and there's a few more steps that go with it, but a loss is a loss. When I say, I love that, I love the statement, meaning it honors pain. There's no pain that's greater than another. One person's experience is not greater than another. So a loss is a loss. It's a very validating statement for many. There's a lot that I didn't know about that because I haven't experienced that. I haven't experienced any of those things that you're describing. I had no idea, like the things you had to consider post that 20 week mark. That's incredible. I can't even imagine how heavy and then have to leave the hospital without your baby if you have to deliver and all of those things. When a woman comes to you and they are going through this process or they're about to go through this process where they've gotten notification or diagnosis and they're in this 20-week mark or later in their pregnancy, what are the top three things that you notice are that you know that you're going to have to walk with this person through? What are the top three things that you commonly see that women will struggle with when they have this situation? Probably the main thing is guilt. You know, guilt is a huge factor pretty much at any stage in your pregnancy loss with a loss, but especially when you get farther along because you think, what did I do? You know, it was something that I did. It wasn't something, did I take a fall? Did I eat something wrong? Did I lay the wrong way? I mean, that's usually what it is, is we work through a lot of guilt and kind of peeling back the layers. Like, you know, what's true about this? You know, is it really guilty? There's so many reasons why these things happen and we aren't meant to know a lot of them. And it's powerful. Let's pause. We're not meant to know all of them. Mm-hmm. That is like the statement that is like so powerful. Wow. That is going to be a quote. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to know. Yeah, We're not meant to know all of the answers. We're not. It's so powerful. And I think as humans, that's what we do, right? Like we look for answers. We have to know the reason. There has to be, you know, we have to figure it out. There's a reason for everything. And you know what? There just isn't sometimes. So that I think is the main thing that we can is guilt. Another big topic is relationships with your partner, even with yourself. You don't know who you are anymore. And your partner may be grieving very differently than you. They have a different experience of it than you. I bet in my community, we have all types of couples. We have same-sex couples. We have, you know, heterosexual couples. I also have some women that go at this alone. 
that are in their fertility journey alone. So like every family that's trying to conceive is so different. So like that makes sense. Some don't have partners or spouses or, you know, boyfriends or girlfriends to be going through this with. That's right. Yeah. And it's so different. When you and I had discussed earlier, you also mentioned fear as like the third component. So it's guilt, relationship issues, and fear. But fear of what? Because that's so big. Yeah. So fear of really, there's a fear of moving on, there's a fear of forgetting the baby. If I move on with my life, does that mean that I, you know, no longer care for this baby that I've lost? So there's a lot of fear around that. Then there's definitely a fear of what if I want to have another baby? Would I ever dare to have another baby? You know, there's fear in that. There's fear that people will look at me like I'm damaged or broken. You know, that I think also falls into the self-confidence. It really takes out their self-confidence with that kind of fear. So what is the first step? I'm home. I now am without my baby and I'm grieving. I'm actively grieving. What are like some first steps that I need to do to ensure my emotional safety and so that I can grieve and just however I need to? I'm all too familiar with grief and losses of people, but I am not familiar with losses from a pregnancy loss or miscarriage. So what are some first things? So if I was a mom and I'm home and I've gone through this ordeal in any week, what are some first things that I should be doing for self-care and to set myself up for support or to receive support? So the first thing is to listen to yourself. Listen to what you need. Listen to Ooh. what you need. Don't worry about what other people think. People are going to come in and tell you all kinds of things and just to try to rush you back to normal because mm. they're uncomfortable with it. It's their uncomfortableness that drives it. And so, yeah, just really listen to what you want. And then right behind that is find someone to talk to. It really, oh, you know, the suffering in silence is not helpful to anyone. And if you think about when someone older dies, right? Like we have a whole thing, you know, there's a ceremony and then people come over and they bring food and they do the, the casserole. Yes. There's all kinds of things, you know, and then you're allowed to talk about it for months, but when our babies die, no one wants to talk about it. They just want you to get back to normal as quick as possible. And so I think the lost mothers made to feel like it's shameful almost in a way and that they need to keep it quiet. And that is so damaging. I just want to break that silence so much. Just in grief in general, like the worst thing to hear is, oh, they're in a better place. That is like the worst thing you can say to anyone, no. especially as a mama that lost her baby. Oh, how could it any place other than in my arms be better than, and it's like the most common thing so that, much. that I have heard from my community that I've built, like when moms are grieving, how the hell is that my baby in heaven and a better place than in my arms? It's the worst mm -hmm. thing that you can say to any mom that's had a loss, yes. the worst. So there's a thing, that's a tip of what not to say. So one thing is that is very not talked about is rage and anger in a grief journey. 
how does a person begin to process rage or emotion after this loss? Like they are angry at so many things, like angry that happened and they'd be angry at themselves. That might be also probably, you know, sometimes hospital staff or medical staff, they're not trauma-informed is what I find that they treat it like I've had one client tell me the baby was referred to as medical waste. It was very, very awful and she miscarried in the emergency room and they're like the whole story is just horrific but there's so many things that can make you angry and that's a part of grief but how does a person move out of that because I find a lot of clients they're first sad and then they're in denial but then they're enraged for a long time can you talk about that because nobody talks about being angry and that is so important to know that it's okay to be angry it is okay it's okay. And the thing about this type of loss too, is that you never, no one imagines themselves in this situation. Never does it cross your mind. And then all of a sudden within, you know, a few hours window, usually you're here, you know? And so what do you do with that? That's a lot of emotion to process and anger is very common. So an exercise that I do a lot with my clients is there's two things. One is lock yourself in a room, scream into the pillow, punch it, you know, punch the bed, whatever you have to do, get that anger out. You have to feel those feelings. You just have to feel them to process through them, or they're going to just stay there. You have to feel it. And then another great thing is to write letters write letters to the hospital stuff. And I don't mean send them if you, you know what I mean? Like maybe it's not productive to send them. I don't know. That's, you know, something different probably, but just writing, 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 writing to your baby, writing to the hospital staff, writing to whoever needs to hear what you have to say, because there is something really cathartic about putting it on paper from your hand to, you know, to the paper and then, and then rip it up, you know, throw it away, then ceremoniously rip it up, throw it away. You're getting rid of the anger to make room for some good emotions because you're you processing get spiritual or witchy on it. I always burn it, burn yes. it in a fire safe container or in a fire pit, wherever it safely can burn it and burning it is such a good release for me. But the letter writing or like just the act of physically writing it out is so important. Not typing, writing, because you're using more of your senses. And when you use more of your senses in your body, it is a more physical release from mental, emotional, and then to physical through your hand. It's connecting more of that because the act of it is removing it from your body. Not the act of you avoiding the emotion, but it's a purge. Right. paper. Well, and, and when you like the disconnection, people may, may not always understand why. Why can't I just type it out? No, you need to write it out. Write you it, write it out. And no matter what form it comes paper. out, like if it's full sentences, fragments. I it even said matter. some person like said, Well, I draw. I was like, then draw it out. I said, Perfect. I just need you to move your pen on the paper. Absolutely. Yeah. It's as good as, you know, and and again, if you have someone that you can verbalize it to that will listen do that. That's even better. But if you can't, you know, yes, you have to find a way to get it out of you or that anger will sit. 
Can you tell me more about how do you navigate your relationship afterwards? Because I imagine like if you're grieving differently, that could really dramatically impact the strength or connectiveness or intimacy of emotion within your relationship. Absolutely. Yes. It is a high level of communication to come through it, really. My husband is, he works in the medical profession. So, you know, he looked at everything very clinically and this is why it happened and this is what happens or what, whatever. And so to me, and he just kind of tried to keep it real easy going and steady. And we had two other boys. We were, you know, trying to keep things going with them and try to keep some sort of normalcy. And finally it came to a head and he said, well, I didn't want to talk about it with you because I was afraid it would make you cry. And I was like, oh, you know, and I do, I think men, partners in general have a role. You know, that they think that's their role is to be the fixers and to be the, you protectors. know, the, the yeah, you, they're just going to protect it and fix it. And if I don't talk about it, then it'll just, you know, it just won't upset her. And, you know, so after that, I realized like, oh, okay, you know, he's not trying to avoid it. It's not hurting him any less. It's just, this is his way of of dealing with it. And he has different ways of dealing with it. And that's a little hard to accept because I think we want them. We want our partners and our, you know, everyone in our circle to feel the way we do. And really everyone grieves differently, no matter what it is. So it's, it is normal. Yes. Differently. Yes. And I think in through the years, I've noticed his triggers are different than mine. You know, Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll, I'll notice it come up for him and it'll be something completely different than what triggers me. I guess, you know, on the positive side, we balance each other out, but, but it is a real sticking point for a lot of people. The divorce rate is huge. Think about you know, the, the divorce rate and, you know, of course this is just marriage statistics. So imagine, you know, relationships in general, but the divorce rate is 23% of couples who are married after divorce after a loss, because it's really, really hard to understand each other's grief process over the same grief. I think it has a lot to do with capacity. Like I've had a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. in my life. Everyone has pain. Everyone has their stories. Mm -hmm. But also what I've noticed as a healer, as a person that holds space for women, is that it has a lot to do with capacity, not capability, that belief that Oh, if they wanted to, they would. Mm. Like if if he wanted you, he would show up. I don't believe that that's the case. I think it's also a lot to do with capacity. Is yes. like, do you have the emotional capacity to do this, or emotional capacity to hear the other person? I can imagine if I were in that role, I would be consumed with my own feelings because it's a little bit different for the woman than the man because. Mm-hmm. It's their body, how the, the baby is removed from your body, yeah. you know, is very physical. And then yeah. like, you're the one that like, this is your genetic physical thing that you're supposed to provide to your marriage, right? That he cannot, then the guilt is very, very different than mm-hmm. their experience as a man or as a partner that is watching this happen to their partner. I can't imagine like if I would have the emotional capacity while grieving and 
coming to terms with the situation, having the capacity to support or even listen to my partner. Just knowing how I've handled grief in the past with, you know, loss of family members, my father, you know, we had horses and that has nothing to compare to a loss of a baby. But I've also watched several family members die and care for them before they've died. I don't know if I would have the emotional capacity to hold any space for my partner. So yeah. that makes sense that why a 23% is a lot. Uh, that it just shows how much we need to do for maternal care and postpartum yes. care in this country. Not just for yes. and men get forgotten in so many ways. I mean, right. I mean, in that, yeah, that's a conversation I have a lot too. Like imagine if you could put yourself in their shoes and have to be the one to watch this whole thing and watch your partner go through, you know, I had to have a C-section, go through that whole thing and leave the hospital, you know, drive me home from the hospital. He had to make all the phone calls. He really went to the cemetery and picked out the, you know what I mean? Like he did a lot of that. And in my grief, I was being selfish, you know, and, and just not really understanding it until, you know, later on. And because I wanted him to feel the same way I did, but, you know, I can't imagine the strength that he had to he do had all to, that. He had to pick the tombstone himself alone. Yeah. Oof. And then like yes. you're at home taking care of you, you know, so like right. so, each will equally are terrible. Right. And it's so complex also with grief. It's so important to honor the other person's feelings. And it's really difficult as like you can say the wrong thing very easily and you just want to be so careful. Mm -hmm. Wow. So after some time has passed. And most couples are going to try again yeah. for a baby. So eventually, even if the fear is there, they're going to try to have another baby most of the time. What does that look like? We already know how the babies are made, but like, what are some tips on how a mom can move through that to continue to try to conceive? I think the first thing is just getting that negative self-talk calmed down, right? It's just squelching that voice that's saying like, it's going to happen again. How do you know that, that you won't be doing this all over again? You know, and if you have a trusting relationship with your doctor, which I had an amazing doctor who I trusted implicitly. So I think between those two, you can get all the facts that you need to kind of reassure yourself that this is not normal. This is not necessarily how it's going to end. And that if this is your desire, then this is the way there. And my doctor, they were wonderful. They let me come in anytime. They invited me to, you know, anytime if I needed to hear the heartbeat or have a quick scan just to make sure things that. were okay, yeah. you know, and that was huge. I didn't do it very often, but just to know that that was an option. If I got panicky and I did a couple times, then I could just do that. And they were very happy to find relief with me there. So I think that's so important. Just have a great relationship with your doctor and then just constantly working on that negative self-talk that wants to talk you out of it. I love that advice. 
And can you tell me how people can connect with you? Because you've been so wise and so forthcoming with all of this expertise on how to move through this and on such a very important topic. How can people connect with you on social media, on the World Wide Web? On the web. Well, all of my information is on my website at jennifersend.com. And I have a podcast called Navigating Baby Loss. So, yes, I'll, you'll be a guest on mine one day. And then, <laughs> and then I'm also navigating baby loss on Instagram and TikTok. Then I have a private Facebook group, Navigating Baby Loss Community. So I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Thank you for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. Thank you for providing this service to the world. Thank you for being here. And you're such a gift to many. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. It was an honor to connect and serve you this week. If you're a spiritually curious person wanting to conceive and heal blockages in your fertility, click the link in the episode description to learn more about the Fertility Foundation Collective. This October and November, all new members will be learning how to heal themselves with Reiki to boost their fertility. Make sure to grab your seat. Until next time, my friend, know your love.